Survival Podcast. Welcome to an episode of Friday Flashbacks. After 15 years and hundreds of interview shows, we decided to run them as flashbacks every Friday, beginning with the oldest of them and going forward. There's a tremendous library of wisdom in all the great interviews we've done over the years, so sit back and enjoy. Whether this is your first time or even your second time around with today's episode, I'm sure you will enjoy it and learn a lot from it. And remember, you can help support the Survival Podcast and the work we do just by becoming a member of the Survival Podcast Members Support Brigade. If you do that, you'll get access to over 70 awesome discount codes on products and services you likely already use. Things like seeds, cannabis products, food storage items, custom roasted coffee, and even cool stuff like ammo and moonshine stills and more. So support the show, get all your money back and more. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on members to learn more and sign up. Now let's get into today's Friday flashback. And today folks, we are flashing back all the way to December the 2nd, 2010, right about 14 years ago. Minus a couple of months as we are now into March, 1st of March. This was originally episode 562 and it was Dave Canterbury on survivability for the common man. In this episode we covered a bunch of stuff. What exactly was survivability or is survivability for the common man? What does the average person need to know for the time they spend off the blacktop? Where does some training fall short? We talk about the five C's of survivability. How survival can be a calorie game in the wilderness. Why we should carry modern gear and no primitive skills, fitting right in with our thoughts on modern survivalism. The difference between surefire and sure flame items. How you can train in the field with Dave, which you can still do even 14 years later. What makes a good wilderness knife versus an EDC knife. Choosing between the 22 and a shotgun in the bush or at home. What's the biggest threat we face as a people today? So... Strap in, let's flash back to December of 2010, 14 years ago. Originally episode 562 with Dave Canterbury on survivability for the common man. And with that, let's go ahead and bring our special guest on. All right, folks, and as I said, we're lucky to have uh, Dave Canterbury with us again uh, to talk to us this time about some stuff that he's working on, uh, a new book and a new magazine. Dave, thanks for joining us on the Survival Podcast. Hey, no problem, Jack. Always glad to be here, man. Well, um, I, you've been here like three three times before, and, and hopefully we'll have you back a bunch more times. And a lot of people know who you are because you're on TV and everything now, and you've got about a billion views on your YouTube channel. But we may have a few people that are you know that new to the show or just haven't come across you before. Could you give us the condensed version? Who is Dave Canterbury, and how'd you get into this wilderness survival thing? Oh, you know, I'm just a, I'm just a common guy like everybody else. You know, I'm no different, even if I'm on TV or on YouTube or whatever it is, I'm no different than anybody else. Um, I'm just a guy that was in the right place at the right time and got lucky. You know, as far as the wilderness survival thing goes, it's been something I've been interested in ever since I was a kid, is being outdoors, hunting, fishing, camping, you know, hiking and things of that nature. And, you know, after I got out of the military, I, I kind of made it my business to go through and look at all of the different things that people used for a basis of writing survival books from survival manuals and things like that and just kind of nitpick through everything because I knew there had to be stuff in there that worked and there had to be stuff in there that didn't. And I wanted to see what worked and put that together into my own system so I would know what's really important to base your survivability on 
So you don't have to remember 10,000 things if only 200 of those things will keep you alive. Absolutely. And I mean, you were in the military for a, quite a while, and I think we talked about this before. You put together what you call the Pathfinder system. And when you did that, to me, I looked at exactly what you just said there, and you kind of broke it down into a military format where it's in blocks and pieces and easy to remember and retain so that when you're out there, you actually need to rely on it. You're in that stressful situation, and you, it's hard to remember you know, all the plethora, the, the 80% that doesn't matter. You're down to that nuts and bolts, and you can do what you need to do to get your ass home. Well, you know, I absolutely agree with that, Jack, and I think that, you know, that's a very big premise in my book. It's also exactly what you said is in the introduction to my book on the companion DVD, you know, it talks about that 80-20 rule. And, you know, every, I've looked at, I've read a lot of survival books. I've read books that were written by just about everybody out there that's anybody in this business about survival, and most of them, not all, but most of them, are, fall into the same category with things like the U.S. Army Survival Manual and the SAS manuals and things like that that have a lot of copy-paste. You know, and I, I say the SAS Survival Manual has a lot of things copied out of it into other manuals, and so does the Army Survival Manual. And people just take for granted because they're in those manuals, they must work. So my premise was, let me go out and to, do the dirt time, do the experimental archaeology, if you will, and find out if they work. And what I found out was, you know, 80% of that stuff, either doesn't work or is not really important to your true survivability. Would you say some of it, it's not even that it just doesn't work, but it just doesn't apply to the civilian? It's a different well, world? I think, it, I think it goes both ways. You know, I think you're right about I think a lot of it doesn't apply to the civilian as far as military manuals go. There's no doubt about that. But there's also a lot of things in manuals. You know, if, if I'm a lay person and I don't know anything about survival whatsoever, and I pick up a copy of, say, a military survival manual, and it has a line drawing in there of how to start a fire with a bow drill, okay? And it says, if you, you know, and so I look at that as the layperson, and I say, well, if they can do it in this manual and it says it's just done like that, then it must be simple. Gotcha. So I put that in my bank, and when I'm out in the woods and I have to survive, you know, I think, oh, well, I remember seeing this in a survival manual. All i got to do is find these two sticks and rub them together, and i got fire. And now I'm dead. Yeah, and you're it's sitting not, out there with a baseboard that's three inches thick and made out of green exactly. stem, and you don't know why you, you know, can't get a goal. It's not that easy, man. It, there's nothing easy about that stuff. So what I try to do is, you know, I teach primitive skills. I teach people how to make a bow drill, but I also teach people how to not rely on that bow drill by making sure that they are prepared for a situation before they get into it. Very cool. And, and you've got this new book out, and it's called Survivability for the Common Man. Can you start out by telling us what you mean by common man? Because different people would take that different ways. I know what you mean. I want the audience to hear it, though. Well, you know, what I mean by common man is I mean the everyday person, you know, on the couch. I mean the guy who doesn't go to the woods every day and train. I mean the guy who doesn't spend, you know, hours and hours hiking the Appalachian Trail every summer. I mean the guy who sits on the couch, watches football on Sunday, goes deer hunting on Saturday once in a while, and plays poker on Friday night. You know, that's the guy I'm talking about. The common guy who doesn't want to have to remember all these little idiosyncrasies of survival and only wants to know what's truly important to make sure that he can survive. Now, if he's going to have to go out and practice his skills, absolutely. There's nobody, nobody can just read a book and go out and do these things and survive. It's not that easy. But at the same time, if you know what you need to learn or what you need to practice or what you need to understand or what skills you need to own, then you can concentrate on the right ones instead of sitting out in the woods hours on end or in your backyard or on your camping trip or wherever you go to practice your skills and waste your time. So would you say, like, one of the goals you had out of this book was helping people teach themselves to, to at least know what you needed to learn 
So you could show them how to do it, what it was, uh, but then they would have to take that information and go out there and actually apply it. You know, that's the main goal of not only my book, but the Pathfinder system in general, Jack, as you know. that You know, you can tell somebody things until you're blue in the face. You can watch 100,000 YouTube videos, watch 10 episodes of Dual Survival and every other survival show that's out there, and it does not matter if you've never actually went out and tried this stuff for yourself. And that's exactly where I started with this whole thing, was trying this stuff for myself. Does it work? Does it not work? What do I have to do to make it work? Can I teach someone else to make this work? How hard is it? Because if it's that hard to do, and it's that difficult, and it burns that many calories and that much energy, then is it really worth doing in a survival situation? Gotcha. Absolutely. I think there's a lot of that when you say there's people that, I mean, I watch all of this stuff, and everybody's trying to come up with something new, and some of the times it looks to me like, well, even if that works, the, the reality is you just spent way more energy on it than you're going to get back. And if you're in your backyard farting around, that's fine. But when you're out there and your life's on the line, that that stuff will get you into real trouble because it's all, you said before on the show, it's all a calorie game. Uh, if you burn more than you're putting in, you can only do that for so long and run that deficit, and eventually that bill comes due and your body can't pay it. Yeah, that is exactly right. That's, and that is the way it is. You know, I've seen so many guys, and I've even seen schools, make the mistake of peeping, taking people out to the woods, whether it's a campground setting or an actual wilderness setting, and instead of making them go out and make a set to make a fire drill, a, a bow drill fire, they'll bring in material from a lumber yard that's been killed dry and it's ready to rock it. And they'll say, this is how you make a bow drill fire, and they make it look easy, and they make the person think that it's easy. And when a person does that and assumes that that's going to be easy, and then they get stuck in the woods and figure out, you know, oh, hell, it, the humidity matters. The yeah. moisture of the wood matters. The hardness of the wood matters. My form matters. Everything matters now because nothing's perfect anymore. And when that situation comes and you start burning all those calories and all that energy over and over and over again, new materials, trying this technique, trying that technique, this bow drill didn't work, this spindle didn't work, this hardboard's too hard, this hardboard's too soft. Now, how many calories have you spent dicking around with all of that when you could have just used your Bic lighter? <laughs> See, and I love that about you. You take the primitive skills... And then you also incorporate modern conveniences. I mean, I do it with a GPS. People say, well, you can't rely on that thing if satellite's out or you get blockage or whatever. Well, fine, I'm out to navigate, but we're also bringing in all this great technology, sometimes simple things like you're saying, like a big lighter wrapped up in some paracord hanging on your keychain. How much grief can that save you? You're exactly right. You're exactly right. That's one of the things I tell people, you know, is, that when you go to the woods, one of the key elements that you need to have with you is sure fire. And I don't mean, you know, I don't necessarily mean a big lighter. I mean a fire that you know is going to start rain, shine, sleet, or snow. No problem, you're going to have fire. Because if you don't have that, that being a key element of your survival, if you don't have that, you might as well just crawl in a hole and die. So give us some examples. There. That's a great little side topic there. What are, what are some methods that you consider to be sure fire? And I know you said have two of those uh, in an ideal situation. Um, you know, what I would consider sure fire, there's a difference between sure fire and sure flame. You know, obviously if you've got that big flyer, that big lighter, and you can keep it dry, then you have sure flame. If that means you've got to put it into some type of waterproof container and then put it in your pocket to make sure that it's dry all the time, that's great. Then you've at least got that sure flame. But sure fire is different than sure flame. And time, you know, you need some kind of a chemical reaction or chemical accelerant to make sure fire, whether that's a wet fire gel or a Weber charcoal starter, they're the same exact thing. One costs eight bucks, one costs twenty-five cents. 
you know, but they're the same chemical compound, and they will burn just like a road flare. And a road flare is another instance what I would consider to be, you know, sure fire. If I got a road flare, you can bet your ass I can get the fire, I can get a fire start even if it's raining. Absolutely, absolutely. Because road flares don't go out. So, you know, that's what it's all about. You have to make sure that you have surefire because without that, you're just, it's a hope and a prayer. But you still have the skills, because I've heard you say this before, like the, the, the reason you need to know how to do a bow drill is maybe you're in a canoe somewhere and you dump the, the, the boat and you lose everything. But that doesn't you're mean you don't right. take it with you, right? That means that you're, you're planning for both contingencies. That's exactly what it's all about right there. You need to understand primitive skills. Primitive skills are not underrated. You need to understand them. But at the same time, you need to prepare yourself with modern conveniences as best you can to avoid those type of emergencies. Because that's when, you know, the difference in a survival situation for a normal person could be the difference of I've got my big lighter in my pocket and it works, or I fell out of my canoe and now it doesn't work and I have to make a bow drill. You see what I'm saying? Gotcha, absolutely. That's difference very easily. So um, if you don't understand you know, several different ways of starting fire, whether it, you know, and improvising fire for that matter, whether it be, you know, pulling the parabolic lens out of your flashlight or carrying a little piece of steel wool that was in your gun cleaning kit with you and you know you can strike that with a ferro rod and it's going to be the same thing as an ember that you would have had to spend 20 minutes getting with a bow drill. You know, all of those things are important, and that's why you have to learn all the small techniques that really count, that really work, so that you know them when the time comes. Absolutely, man. And, like, let's talk about, like, you mentioned the common man, the common man that goes hunting on Saturday and watches football on Sunday, especially, uh, I don't know if they do this in Ohio, but when I was growing up in Pennsylvania, they can't even hunt on Sundays there, so you're going to be home watching football. That's the guy that has the actual risk of going out and getting lost. I remember when I was a kid, I was about 16 years old, and I was bow hunting in this place called Broad Mountain, and I'm up in this tree, and I was about 200 yards from a road, and I saw this guy come through, and you could tell he was lost. And he started heading toward the road. So I'm like, well, I'm not going to yell at him. I'm going to keep things quiet here. I won't chase off any of the game. And I watched this guy literally go in a circle twice before I finally just yelled to him and told him where to go because he was he was lost, and he was 50 yards from the road. Um, and yeah, and that can happen to anybody. Mind. So what, what do you exactly say? The, right. the first thing, okay, once once you accept the fact that, okay, I'm lost, and that might be part of it is accepting it, what, is it, what does a person do to keep their ass alive and get found in that scenario? You know, I think that once you get into a situation where you have accepted the fact that you're lost, then now we need to look at what's the opposite of lost. I need to be found, right? So to be found, there are several options depending on what my situation is. Was I smart enough to tell somebody I was going to go out in the beginning? Did I leave a game plan with somebody? Did I say, I'm going here, I'm stopping here on the way, this is the trail I plan to walk on. If I'm not back by X time, it's because I had a problem. And was I smart enough to bring a cell phone so I can make a phone call if I've got reception? Was I smart enough to bring a spot device of some kind to be able to signal search and rescue and say, hey, I've got a problem and I need help? If I wasn't smart enough to do any of those things, then I've got a problem. Uh, then I have to figure out how to make self-rescue, which means I better have a lot more skills in my pocket than the guy who was smart enough to leave the game plan, and now he, all he has to do is be as obnoxious and loud as possible and somebody's going to find him. But if I'm out there and I didn't leave a game plan, then I need to assess, you know, what do I have, what can I use it for, how can I be as loud and obnoxious as I possibly can be so that I can be found at the same time, what do I need to do? Am I better off sitting where I'm at because, of my, because I think somebody's going to miss me, or do I think town was east of here 15 miles, and I can navigate my way 15 miles in a couple of days as long as I can keep from experiencing lateral drift 
by looking at, you know, the next bearing and the next bearing and the next bearing in front of me. Gotcha. What would you say to the person that says, well, I've got this navigation thing down and I'm not going to get lost? I would say that uh, you better hope that you're right about that. <laughs> um, it's, it's very simple to get lost and it's very easy to get lost. Experts get lost every day. Expert mountain climbers die climbing the mountain. I mean, it's just the way it is. Um, experts die at doing the things that they do expertly every day. So you can be an expert navigator and something can still go wrong. Um, you have to understand several navigation techniques, not just the fact that, hey, I'm an expert navigator with a map and compass, but now, you know, I lost my map. My compass got damaged. I dropped the whole thing over the canoe in my backpack. Now what the hell do I do? So you have to, being an expert navigator is like being an expert survivalist. There's no such thing. Everyone is a student, and everyone learns every day, including me, and that's what's important. So if you ever get to the point where you can say you're an expert at something, then you probably in the wrong plane of existence. <laughs> I completely agree with that, man. That's kind of what I wanted to hear there, and I wanted folks to hear that from you, because I think that there is no, first of all, the getting lost thing, uh, all the things that you think you know, there's times if you get in thick enough brush, you don't know north from south anymore. It's impossible. There's no landmarks you can't see, and it's so easy to be sure I'm heading this way. And, you know, as long as you got something to take a bearing with, like a compass, like you said, you can lose that stuff. And you can do things exactly. with a sun compass, but if there ain't no sun coming through, well, that's kind of out, too. So there's always yep. ways that things can happen and, and you can get lost. So that kind of brings me to my next thing. The guy that's not going out, you know, like you or I might for a week, he's going out for a day. And he, he thinks he's going to mountain bike or hunt or fish or whatever. He doesn't really think there's that much danger. That guy can get lost. And to me... The minute you're going to walk more than 50 feet from the road, you should probably, if you're going to be gone for the day, take what I call a day kit uh, or a small survival kit, however you want to phrase that. Could you talk about some of the things that that person, that one-day-out person, needs to make sure they have with them? Yeah, um, what I would say in that case is, you know, when I tell people, I, I teach a 10-piece emergency kit, but I also teach a very simple concept, even to my most basic students, called the five C's of survivability. And these five C's are built around, the, like we said before, calories, energy expenditure, hydration, and body core temperature are the things that keep you alive. So the things that expend the most calories or expend the most hydration or keep you from controlling your body's core temperature very well are the things that you need to make sure you cover. And so on those five C's, what I talk about is the first C being a cutting tool. doesn't matter what cutting tool it is, whatever one you're comfortable with, at least you have something you can cut with. You have a knife. It's very difficult to recreate that in the wild with natural materials. If you don't have specialized materials, it can be almost impossible. If you don't have the skills, it can still be impossible. So a knife's important. So number one is a cutting tool. Number two is a combustion device that will create sure fire, just like we talked about earlier. Make sure that you have something in your kit that will create sure fire. If that's a strike force and a wet fire cube, then I can guarantee you 95% of the time, as long as you don't damage that container, which is very hard to do because maybe have plastic, you will have sure flame to get marginal tender going. The third thing that you need to have is you need to have cover. And cover involves something that will protect from the elements, whether that's a poncho, a wool blanket, a bunch of outerwear, whatever it is, you need to have some type of covering that will protect you from the elements. That's a very hard thing to recreate in the wild. You can make brush shelters and things like that, but then again, burning calories, making yourself sweat, you know, losing the hydration, screwing up your body's core temperature, all those things happen when you try shelters. The fourth thing would be a container. And I say a container, I don't mean a 32-ounce Nalgene plastic bottle. I mean a metal 
stainless steel container that you can boil water in because that's the only 100% sure way to disinfect your water. So that container needs to be metal. Whether it's a guy-designed bottle, a clean canteen, you know, doesn't really matter as long as you can put it in the fire and boil water in it. Container is number four. And the fifth one is cordage. Cordage is the most useful single item next to probably your knife that you can put in your kit as far as making other things or creating other things. And cordage is very difficult to produce in mass amounts, taking, again, specialized materials and lots of time and energy. So those five things, if you can carry those five things with you all the time, what I call the five C's of survivability, you can manage through most things if you have at least marginal skills. Awesome, awesome. And I think that's a great way. And that's why I love what you do. You break things down to the most simplistic level. Now, it's not that they're simple ideas, but they're simple components of a complex idea. And with those five things, you can get through most situations, especially the guy that's out there on the on the day trip that has to overnight or gets lost for a day or two. Uh, exactly. As long as he can find some water, you know, you don't even have to eat for a day. You, you can make it through it. I, I know you've done it. You're not happy, oh, yeah. but I know you've done it more than once. You can go through a day or two without eating if you have to, but a day or two without water, that'll put you down and out for the count in a lot of situations. And, in fact, I yeah, think you're exactly right. the, the, the less water around, the more likely you are to be in a situation where you're going to be shedding that water quickly. Um, I think maybe your attitude on water has changed a little bit since you started traveling the world more uh, and getting out of some of them desert environments. Well, you know, I think water is, is a very important element of survival, obviously, because everything in your body revolves around you drinking water. I mean, down to a cellular level, you have to have water. So water is a very important thing. I have the advantage here in Ohio, you know, of having water. You know, Cody likes to make poke fun at that because there's water everywhere you look in Ohio. Um, when you get out to the desert, it's not like that. And the fact of the matter is you need to learn how to conserve it and you need to learn how to find it. And sometimes that can be a challenge in itself that burns a lot of calories, just finding more water. So if you don't figure out ways to conserve that water by not, again, expending calories and hydration to do things, because your body goes through hydration just to metabolize food, just like it burns calories. By burning calories, you're also going through your own hydration. If you can't replace that, you're screwed. So the things that we talked about that take the most calories and energy to reproduce also burn the most water. Absolutely. Every process in your body running off of that. So it's like, it's like gas for the machine in a way, or at least the exactly. oxygen and the, the oxygen and the engine. The gas is the food and the water is the oxygen and you need them both or you can't operate. Um, You're exactly right. You know, you've also got a new magazine coming out, uh, called, uh, Self-Reliance, uh, Illustrated. Can you tell us a bit about that and perhaps some of the people you have, uh, working with you on it, writing for it? Yeah, um, Self-Reliance Illustrated is a, is a brand-new magazine that we've got coming out. It's basically a self-reliance and survival-based magazine. And we put this magazine out because we wanted to put something out there, again, I say for the common man. We want something that, you know, it's, it's okay for you to sit and read a magazine. I read magazines all the time, um, and everybody else does as well. But if you don't understand the concepts that are being talked about in the magazine, I think a lot of magazines are written with the expert, you know, so to speak, quote-unquote expert in mind. They already assume that you know the topic they're talking about, so they're not real explicit in how they explain things sometimes. Sometimes the pictures are marginal as far as how they explain the story behind the article, and sometimes they skim things over and make things look easier than they are, just like survival manuals do. So what we attempted to do with this was we wanted common articles about common tasks and needs and skills and common equipment and common that was written by common people so that, you know, if I, one of the things that I, I notice is 
a lot of people can connect with what I'm saying because I talk like a hillbilly. Sure. I talk like they talk. You know, I don't, I don't have a, I'm not a college educated guy that needs to talk in 10 syllable words. I could care less about that. You know, my whole concept of life is keep it simple, stupid. That's the way I want it. Keep it simple. The easier it is to understand, the easier a concept is, the easier it is to remember. People will think about that and remember that a lot easier. So what we did with this magazine was, you know, we solicited not only people that have written for other magazines like Al Halcon, who wrote for Wilderness Way and was also one of the editors of Wilderness Way, but we got guys that are no-name people to write articles for this magazine of what do I carry in my 10-piece kit when I go out hunting. You know, guys like we have experts like Joe Flowers in things like eating bugs that will tell you what bugs you can eat, what bugs you can't, how to prepare them. I've got uh, people that used to be instructors at Tom Brown School, for crying out loud, that are writing articles for me on wild edibles and medicinal plants. So I've got a, a large array of people. I've got my instructors writing articles from the Pathfinder School. I'm writing articles myself. John McCann writes articles for us from Survival Resources. Um, all of these guys we have collected together so that we can get an eclectic volume of knowledge out there that will be topically pertinent to everybody's survival. And it's broke down, every issue is broke down into fire, tools, shelter, food, navigation, do-it-yourself, hunting and fishing, featured gear reviews, and all of these things will be covered to the max in every episode. So when you get an article in this in this first issue um, about the hand drill fire by Al Halcon, it's not going to be, how do I start fire in a survival situation? Here's ten ways that you can start fire, and I'm going to cover it in three freaking pages. It's, this is the way you start a hand drill fire, and this is every single in and out and, and intricacy that you need to know to start a hand drill fire, and that's all the article's about. It's not about to start a fire. It's about a hand drill fire, period. And so that's what this article is. Each component is very specific, uh, but yet written in a voice that the average person is going to understand. So, that's uh, exactly right. Because there are, you're right, there's a lot of magazines, not just survival mag, gun magazines, car magazines, whatever, that are written almost what I consider like trade journal-ish, like where they're written for the you know AR uh, AR enthusiasts, for example, on AR uh, fifteen uh, rifle uh, platforms. That's written for the person that is not asking the question, which AR for me. They're at what what little thing can I put on my handguard next? And those are two different worlds. But you guys have yeah. the experts and the common voice kind of brought together there so that there's something there for everybody, whether I've been out in the woods my whole life or I'm new to this and I just kind of want to understand it. That is exactly right. You know, And we've even got an article in here that's going to be a monthly feature by a woman named Paige McMahon who is an outdoor adventurer that's a female. And the name of that article is going to be Ask Paige. And it's going to be all about women being able to ask her you know, questions about the outdoors that she can answer. Because she's awesome. a worldwide travel and adventure that's a female. Sometimes females want to hear that stuff from females. And so we're trying to capture that, you know. And the other thing about it is, is not very many magazines out there do a good job of teaching our youth. And that's what the Pathfinder system is all about, passing the tribal knowledge down to our youth. So we have specific articles in here for youth. So we have specific articles about the Pathfinder youth, specific pictures that are sent in by youth kids and by youth programs so that we can embody that in this magazine that it's all about passing on the tribal knowledge to our young people. That's absolutely awesome, man. Um you also, you guys are going to do something here for the audience where they can get a first edition and a book and some stuff like that. There's a, a contest you want to announce. You want to tell folks how they can play that? Yeah. Um, you know, what we're trying to do is obviously we want to get our subscribership up there. We want to get some magazine out for the people. Um, we're 
issue of this magazine that comes out in December is going to be a premier edition. It's not going to be a numbered edition. It'll be like a collector's item. Um, and it is going to uh, be put out along with the one-year subscription. It'll be one of the subscription magazines, but it won't be a numbered magazine. And what we're going to do with that is we'd like to give away a autographed first edition of the magazine. It'll be autographed by me as well as one of my books autographed to one person. And the way we want to do that is we'd like to have everyone that listens to Survival Podcast, uh, especially this interview of Survival Podcast, come to the Facebook fan page for Survival or for Self-Reliance Illustrated Magazine and just get on there and say something about, you know, saw this on podcast, heard this on podcast, blah, 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 blah. And all of those names, the first hundred people that respond on that Facebook page will be put into a drawing for a free one-year subscription to include an autographed premier edition plus an autographed edition of my newest book, Survivability for the Common Man. So that's a great contest, Dave. Um, and, again, folks, all you're going to have to do, I'll put a link in the show notes for you so you can uh, find their uh, fan page release. You go over there, hit like, post a comment, mention TSP. First hundred people go into a drawing, and you get a uh, uh, a free first premiere edition of the magazine and a free copy of Dave's book, both of them autographed. So that's awesome. Thanks for doing that, man. Um, no problem, man. In that initial magazine or that initial uh, edition of the magazine, um, what are some topics you're covering in that first issue, and uh, why do you feel they're so important to the self-reliant individual? Well, I just, you know, I think that obviously the, the key topics of survival, you know, between fire tools, shelter, food, navigation, things like that, are all key, as well as learning how to hunt and fish and looking at what gear you need to use and things like that. But the important thing about this magazine is going to set it apart from every other magazine out there of this type is that it's going to be very topic-specific as far as the articles go. It's not going to jump around. Like I said, with the hand drill article, it won't be anything but about the hand drill. But at the same time, we're going to go through all of these certain – there won't be one issue that's dedicated to one thing. Every issue will contain all of the basic survival needs and at least one article or two or three or five about each one of those survival needs, depending on what articles we have for that issue. Um, just to give you, you know, a brief overview, in, in the fire section this month, obviously we've got the hand drill by uh, Halcon. A couple different articles we've got under tools is a knife tip for beginners by Brian Andrews and the Penobscot Bay Axe, a classic common man axe by Steve Davis, who's one of my lead instructors at the school. Then we've got, you know, some gear reviews in the shelter area on the Expect Vivi Poncho. Um, we've got, we talk about eating grubs and different wild edibles in the food section. Um, and the do-it-yourself, we talk about, you know, uh, some things that you can modify some of your cookware with by John McCann from Survival Resources. And the list goes on and on. I don't want to give away too much about the magazine right off the bat. But, you know, there's a lot of good key feature articles in this magazine that are going to be very good for you. It will almost be what I envision this magazine being is, something that you can collect all 12 issues or bind all 12 issues together, all six issues together at the end of the year, and you basically have a survival manual. Very cool. That's what I want it to be. I don't want, ma- I don't want articles in here that don't matter. If it doesn't matter to your survivability, I don't want it in here. I don't want somebody uh, putting articles in here about how to start a fire with a 9-volt battery and steel wool. Who cares? Why do I want to carry a 9-volt battery when I ought to be smart enough to have a ferro rod and I can start that steel wool with a ferro rod? Who cares about the damn 9-volt battery? If you're carrying battery-operated devices around with you in the wilderness, you're already sucking wind. <laughs> Not to mention, I mean, how long of an article could you make out of such a topic? I know people can fluff it up, but you're not big on fluff. It's pretty much to no, take I- steel wool, touch it to the 9-volt battery, and make fire. That is all. So exactly. how, how do we turn that into a 400-word article? It's just ridiculous. 
Exactly. You know, I only want articles in here that are going to make a difference. Now, one of the big things with this magazine that truly separates it from everything else, and I didn't tell you about this yet because I was kind of saving it up, is that we are not allowing just anybody who wants to throw money at us to advertise in this magazine. We have a board of directors that is very explicitly decisive about who's allowed to advertise in this magazine because if somebody approaches us, and we had three companies approach us actually today to advertise in our second issue, if I've never heard of you and my people have never heard of you, then you better send us some merchandise until we see what your quality and service is like. We're not going to let you advertise in our magazine. I want people to know that when they pick up my magazine and they open it up and it says, and there's an ad in there from survivalresources.com by John McCann, that I trust what he sells, I trust his quality, I trust his service, and I trust his decision to carry that product. And I'm basically endorsing that by letting him advertise in my magazine. You know, that sounds very similar to the way we do things here. And I'll, t I'll tell you what made me do that with our sponsors was I was reading a copy of Mother Earth News, and a listener wrote in and was basically ticked that they had let a certain advertiser into their magazine because it was for cigarettes, and obviously they're health nuts over there, right? And the response and the response was, hey, these are advertisers. They're not our personal endorsements. We're just selling them ad space. And the day I read that, I thought, well, that's completely wrong. If I'm going to put my brand and my name next to something, then it is an endorsement, and it is a personal exactly. voucher, right? Exactly. And exactly. I'm not going to hide behind some legalese bullshit. I'm going to stand up and say, I back these people, and if they don't do their job and take care of my audience, well, then they're fired because the audience is what it's all about. You're doing the same thing with your magazine, freaking hoo-ah, because I mean, back when I consulted with businesses, I brought that concept to a few companies, and I was basically told that's foolhardy, it'll cost you business, And I guess it might short term, but we both know what it does long term. Exactly, exactly. You are absolutely right, Jack. Well, that is that is freaking awesome, Dave. Man, I'm glad to hear that. That's uh, I, I don't know that I would expect much different from you though, because of the kind of guy you are. Uh, I can even tell you see you telling a guy, look, I'm not advertising your crap in my magazine because it's crap and I don't want it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you, I mean, you are kind of well, yeah. I guess we're kind of on the same cloth there. We both will say what we think. I'd like to try something uh, a little bit uh, unique with you now. I did this, uh, I've done this with a couple of people. I did it with Ron Hood. Uh, I did it with some other folks that I've had on. And that is I get like the same four or five questions every day, like 87 times. Um, and I answer them frequently. I can't answer them every time I get one or the whole show would be five questions by Jack. Um, but I want to ask you some of them and get people a little bit of a different perspective than in my perspective because we may disagree or have some different thoughts. And, uh, good for people to have lots of information. So it's kind of a speedball thing and be simple and, and, and quick with them. Uh, what do you think makes a good wilderness knife? I think when you decide you're going to pick a wilderness knife, you need to know a couple different things. Number one, you need to know is that the only tool you're going to have. Are you going to have an axle? Are you going to have a saw? Are you going to have a multi-tool? Or are you only going to have a knife? If you're only going to have nothing else, then it better be small enough to cut up chipmunks with because that's probably what you're going to be eating in a survival situation. It also better be big enough to baton through four-inch logs to process firewood with. Do that without expending tons of energy and blowing your calorie intake. Okay, great. Um, now, different world. EDC knife for walking around with in the, I mean, big fixed blade on your belt, not exactly very Walmart friendly for shopping and things like that. So what makes a good EDC knife? You know, that's kind of a loaded question for me and a hard for me to answer. Because to be honest with you, I walk around show a copy every day with a five-inch knife on my side. Okay. So, I mean, for me, the same knife I use every day in the woods is the same knife I walk around Walmart with. 
All right. Well, you're in the right state to be able to do it. I am too, but there's <laughs> there's people that can't do that, you know. All I understand right. that, and I'm just not that familiar with you know folding knives because I don't use them. Okay, so you're not pro folding knife. We won't say not anti, but we'll say not pro. All right, let's um let's do this one. And you can't cheat and say a bow and arrow. Uh, you have to choose between a twenty two and a shotgun. Which one do you choose and why? Um, again, I think that depends on the situation. If if you're going to use that weapon for survival purposes in the woods, then I would say twenty two every day, all day. Only because number one, you should be familiar enough with your weapon to be able to hit the target, and it takes thirteen. CCI stingers equal the weight of one number six three inch twelve gauge magnum from Remington, so you got twelve shots to one. Absolutely. Um, so weight for rate, I take a twenty two every day over twelve gauge, and the things that you're going to be killing in a survival situation, you better be able to kill the twenty two. You shouldn't be out there hunting bear. You should be hunting rabbits and squirrels. Gotcha. All right, next one. Uh, kind of going into the mainstream world, what do you see as the biggest current threat to our daily lives? Not being lost out in the woods, but from just a preparedness, self-reliant individual as yourself. I know you do some basic preparations and things like that. What do you think is maybe the biggest thing we have to worry about out there changing the way we live as Americans? You know, I think the biggest threat that we have right now is our own complacency to our environment. We rely too heavily on electricity, cell phones, food at every, every, uh, every market and gas at every gas station. And we stop taking things like that for granted and learn how to live without them for a while so that we can if we have to, we're setting ourselves up for failure because sooner or later something will happen, be it natural or otherwise, that will cancel all of those things out. And if you haven't lived for a week in your house by taping up the plugs in your house with duct tape, then you're going to be in trouble. Absolutely. So do the lights out drill. Okay. Um, what do you consider the best tool or weapon for home defense? Now, I, I would say that's just the opposite of the question you asked me before. I would say 12-gauge hands down. Yep. I think we're, I think we're in sync on that one. It, uh, it ends fights. Uh, James Jager puts it this way. Handguns make people yell, stop shooting me and run away, and, and shotguns end fights immediately. Um, well, I, you're exactly right. You know, and I did a video on it not very long ago, well, about a year ago, but I took it down um, because of the political issues involved with things like that when I started working for Discovery, and I didn't want to have political things on my website that might get them, you know, any kind of hot water questions sure. for them. But, you know, my feeling is that you take number six shot and put it in a three-inch magnum, you know, Remington 870-12 gauge, and you shoot some crotch that bad boy and collapse your pelvis, it's done. I don't care what they're doing or how big they are. You, could, you shoot them in the pelvis, they're, they're not mobile anymore. Yeah, that's, that's true. And that, that redeems me for my comments on six shot in the past. I've been told it doesn't penetrate enough and, and my thought was, well, I can only shoot about seven yards at optimum in my home, and with a full choke and a, a three-inch magnum well, load of copper-plated sixes. <laughs> I don't think it matters how much it penetrates. Yeah. What, what does it feel like to get hit in the crotch with a ball bat? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's mean, the same thing, right? Whether it penetrates or not, you got a lot of kinetic energy right there. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Uh, a little bit malicious, but hey, don't break in my house. I guess is the way to respond exactly. to that one. That's my whole. That's my whole thing right there. All right, well, hey, I appreciate being a good sport, and let me throw those at you. I get them, like I said, 87 times a day, so uh, you've gone through them once now here. Um, let's, uh, let's, let's switch a little bit here. I want to let people know that they actually can come out in the field with you and learn from you, right? You do classes where – and you're charging the same to do that as, as you uh, did before you were on Discovery and all that. I think you put it this way. You said my time is still worth the same, and I still want to work with the same people. That's exactly right. You know, I, I, I will forever stay – you know, the common man. I'm not going to, you know, I, to be honest with you, I would rather teach 
the guy who goes out and hunts on the weekend how to get out of an emergency situation than have some Harvard student come to my class and afford $1,500 or $2,000 for three or four days of training that will probably never be in that situation anyway because he's too much of a sissy to get in the woods. <laughs> so how can people, uh, what, what, what kind of classes do you do? How do people find out about them? Um, you know, of course, obviously I do the online e-courses, which are basically just a self-training course that gives you an outline of the things that you need to learn, and you can respond back to the school with those deliverables, and we give you certification for phase one like that. Once you get into <laughs> the phase two and three areas, then it becomes a situation where you have to come out to field to show us and learn with us. And, and basically our field courses go from a basic class, which is basically a camping-type environment. You can bring all the food you want and, you know, all the snacks you want and bring your tent, and we'll teach you some basic survival skills, pathfinder strategies and whatnot, and that's a four-day course. Um, and then we get into an advanced training class. We actually travel around the United States to do those as well as in our school, East Ohio, because I want to be able to train people in their environment. It does somebody in Louisiana that lives in a swamp no good if they're worried about survival in an emergency situation where they went out hunting and got lost in a swamp to learn how to survive in the eastern woodlands of Ohio because it's two different environments, two different uses of natural resources, two different materials that are available, two different weather patterns. Everything is different. So I travel into about five locations throughout the United States to be able to give people environmental training as well, and that's an advanced training class. And in those type classes, it's a little more strenuous, a little more um, mentally stressful, and physically stressful, we, we do have food and water deprivation in those classes. We do have live hunts in those classes where people actually have to obtain live food and butcher it to eat it. They actually have to build fire by primitive means and boil it to drink it. Um, and then, you know, we, we do a lot of things in that class that we don't do in the basic class simply because it's a more strenuous environment. We do a lot of trapping skills. We do a lot of tracking skills. We do a lot of, you know, down-to-earth hardcore primitive survival skills so that you learn the skill sets that you really need to learn in emergency situations beyond the basics. Then we have what's called a Pathfinder Scout class, which is limited to just a few people at a time, and basically we go out with, you know, the five C's that we talked about earlier, and we survive as a group for a week. And it becomes more of a situation at that point of I'm no longer an instructor, I'm a participant. Sure. I want to eat just as bad as you do, and I'm going to hunt just as hard as you do to find food. I can promise you that. Yeah. So, if, yeah. you know, I'll help you if you don't understand something. I'll teach you any lessons you want to learn, but we're here to learn at this point. Because if you come to a scout class, you better know how to live three days without food because we're going to go five. Might even have been a good idea for them to take one of your other classes first, you would say, huh? Uh, well, the scout class is the only one that requires the advanced class before you can take it. Okay. All Very the other cool. class, you can take the advanced class without taking the basic class if you think you're up to it, but you cannot take the scout class without taking at least the advanced class. Gotcha, because so everybody's depending on each other, so you want a base skill level to do that scout yeah, class. Well, it yeah, it becomes more of a hunter-gatherer tribal mentality type class. Gotcha. Where you yeah. learn to live together with other people. Your comment about traveling is something that I probably haven't thought enough about, but it's true, because I have, like, this good friend, and he just went off to this, uh, well, it was great school, but it was in the desert out in, um, I think it was actually the, the, the high desert in Utah that, that he went to. And I thought it was great, and he learned some of the basic stuff and all. But I thought also a lot of the stuff that he learned, it ain't going to really help him very much in East Texas in the Piney, Piney Woods. And, exactly. you know, I think a lot of people think, well, I'm going to go off to, like, this, this rugged environment. And they don't realize their backyard's pretty rugged as soon as they get off the blacktop. And but it's different rugged and it's different needs. So that's that's a big deal. And I like that you kind of break it up in about five regions and you can get a pretty good 
kind of bridge gap to, to any region if you pick one of those. So that's awesome. Now, you also do gatherings, and they're a little bit different, right? Yeah, the gatherings are more of a family-oriented environment. They're very specifically geared toward uh, the youth and families in general. I mean, you wouldn't want to, although I have had it happen, very few people come as a wife and husband team to the advanced class because it's pretty stressful and it's pretty tough. But I have a lot of husband and wives that come to basic classes in the gatherings and even bring their kids. And that's what that stuff is for. And what I do with the gatherings that's different is when you come to a Pathfinder school class, you're going to get instruction from myself, from my lead instructor, Steve Davis, maybe Derek Ferrier, a couple of my associate instructors, things like that. But when you come to a gathering, you're going to get instructors all over the world. You're going to get instructors from guys out of California, guys out of New York, guys out of Florida, you know, guys out of the Deep South. Everywhere that you can imagine the instructors are coming from, we had about 12 different instructors at our last gathering. And, you know, while we had 280-some people there, we repeated classes at least twice a day so that people could overlap, rest when they wanted to, not go to every class they didn't want to, bring their kids along and things like that. And we have a lot of classes that are geared toward the use in the, in the gathering that we don't have in some of the Pathfinder classes. So the Pathfinder gathering is more of a, it's just that, it's a friendly gathering for fellowship with families to get to know other like-minded people and at the same time get a week full of classes that they wouldn't normally get at a half the price of a, class, a normal class cost. Very cool, and you get to meet all these other instructors and get this broader, diverse base of knowledge going out to some other topics. That, that's awesome. Folks, I'll tell you this. Um, Dave's invited me to both of the ones he's doing in 2011. One's in June and one's in September, right? That's correct. I'm not going to be able to do the June one due to a prior obligation, but I will be at the September uh, Pathfinder gathering. So if you guys want to hang out with me and Dave, sign up and go to that. And, Dave, they need to, like – it sounds like a long way away, but you sell these things out uh, every year, right? Yeah. Actually, what we did this year was, because the response was so big last year, and it was such a logistic nightmare to try to get one-on-one instruction with people and get everybody served with food, we've actually limited the gatherings this year, and that's the reason we have two of them, to 100 adult tickets. You know, kids, youth under the age of 18 are always free as long as they're accompanied by a paid adult. So... We have 100 adult tickets for sale to both gatherings. We have sold quite a few tickets already to both gatherings, and they will sell out. That's why they're for sale so early in the year. Okay. So if you guys want to go, it's 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 time to act now. And uh, sometimes when people say things are going to sell out, they do it to sell out on purpose. Dave's telling you that because if you, I guarantee you, if you wait till spring, you'll be disappointed on both of them because I've seen it before. So uh, I'm actually glad you've limited the class size down to or the the ticket number down to 100 because I've been at events that are a little bit bigger than that and it does get to be too big. And you're there as an instructor and you're just trying to make yourself available and you don't get time to you know even sleep because everybody wants to talk to you and well, you, know, right, what, you, you can't right. you can't do as good a job I don't think you know because well, you get to a right point where you're that. like dude give me a break man you know. Yeah. <laughs> well you know the thing is with me and, here, and here's my here's the biggest reason that I dropped it down. Um, 200. Last year we had 279 or 280 people at the gathering. Wow. And one of the things that I really wanted to happen at these gatherings was I wanted it to be a time when anybody and everybody could walk up to me and just talk to me, take a picture with me, get an autograph they wanted to, introduce their kids to me, let their kids ask me a question. And with 100 paid adults, so possibly another 100, 200 kids, it's easier to do that than if I would have just opened this thing up because by the time season two of Dual Survival plays out, you know, that gathering probably would have sold four or 500 tickets. And yeah. now I would have had, 
you know, a thousand or more people there. And it's a lot harder for me to get one-on-one time with people at that rate. And I want people to be able to approach me anytime they want to and just talk to me. I do it all the time in stores all around, you know, Chillicothe and airports all around the world. Somebody approaches me, I'm going to talk to them. Sure. I'm not going to say, oh, I'm too busy. i got to get on a plane. You know, I'm, i got to get my groceries and get home to my kids. You know, whatever it is, you know, if there's a fan out there of the show or, what, or a book or whatever it may be, my YouTube videos, I want to talk to them. Gotcha. And that's really cool, man. So let's say people want to order your book, subscribe to your magazine, find out more about your events. How do they do that? Um, you can go to www.thepathfinderschoolllc.com to order my book. There's also a link to the magazine on that page as well. You can go to Facebook and go just type in Self-Reliance Illustrated. That goes straight to our Self-Reliance Illustrated page. Or you can go directly to Self-Reliance Illustrated's website at www.selfrelianceillustrated.com. Very cool. And I'll put links to all that stuff in the show notes. Uh, Dave, I appreciate you being on the show again, man. Is there anything else you want to uh, let folks know about before we wrap up here today? Not a problem, Jack. I think you covered it all, buddy. Well, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Survival Podcast Friday Flashbacks. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider becoming an MSB member. Just go to thesurvivalpodcast.com and click on Members to learn more. You can also support our show by going to TSPAZ, that's T-S-P-A-Z, TSPAZ.com. Anytime you shop online, and while you'll support us no matter what you buy, you will find over 500 reviews of items I have personally tested and vouched for. And to stay in touch with us and never miss anything... Follow our channel or our group on Telegram. You can find links to that and all our social media options. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com and check the show notes for any episode.